Good evening, everyone. I trust you behaved yourself while I was away, huh? There was no report from Father Kumada, because uh, he went on to the next parish, if you will. Friends, our first reading uh, reminds us that we must have faith in all things, especially when there are trials and challenges. This is what Habakkuk is telling them. Uh, we should understand the word vision that is used is not as vision, as, but as promise. All the promises that God has made has its time and it will come. But in the meanwhile, you wait with faith. St. Paul echoes something similar when he says, um, bear your hardships, but do it with faith. Have faith in all things. Our gospel is a little bit complex, um, jointed. Uh, we, I want you to remember that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to suffer and die. The limited time he has in this world we have to remember that Jesus entered into this world, and when he did, he entered into linear time. He came from where time is eternity, but obeying his Father's rules, he comes in here, so there's a limited amount of time for him. It's hard for us to understand that, but he has a limited amount of time in this world, so he purposely packed it full of instructions to the apostles who had plenty of things still to learn from him. Um, and to also to understand what it is that they would be called to do. Uh, what Jesus is doing is teaching them the general rubrics of the responsibility of discipleship, of following him. And our Lord has spent a lot of time with them dispelling false notions about what the Messiah would do, who the Messiah would be, about God's kingdom. And as a matter of fact, Jesus had to labor himself to change their thoughts about God himself. And then prior to today's gospel, Jesus told his disciples that they had to be ready to forgive uh, anyone, even if they offended them seven times a day. This is the, if you went and read the chapter just before, this is what Jesus is talking about. Um, seven at the time was considered to be a large number uh, for the Jewish people. And to the Jews who were prone to grudges and uh, these ridiculous feuds, um, the injunction seemed impossible to have to forgive. This is what he's dealing with, this mentality. And uh, the apostles knew then that they would have to have help in order to fulfill what Jesus was asking of them. And Jesus replies, so they asked for faith. They said, Jesus, increase our faith. And Jesus replies that if they had faith the size of a mustard seed, <laughs> they could have a mulberry tree uprooted and transplanted into the sea at the very command. And... Uh, a mustard seed was regarded as the smallest of seeds, and uh, suggesting that only a little faith is necessary. Uh, the mulberry tree, on the other hand, is something completely different. Uh, it grew much larger than the mustard plant or mustard tree, and it was notorious for its root system. I mean, good luck trying to pull that out of the ground. Uh, and they knew that. Maybe you don't, but they did. So they knew exactly what Jesus was getting at. It was common knowledge that the attempt to uproot uh, this type of tree was doomed to failure. This drives home Jesus' point to them. With the tiniest bit of faith, even the seemingly impossible, like limitless forgiveness, is not merely possible, but possible even under the most improbable of situations. This is why he throws in the mulberry tree, uh, you know, he said, huh, if you had a little bit of faith, you'd be able to do this. And here he 
talking about forgiveness as if that's impossible. The second half of today's gospel uh, has three rhetorical questions based on a relationship of their time that existed between a master and a servant. And you know when Jesus is putting forth the parable, we know that the master is God. So he's using something of their time. So he's talking about God and the relationship with humanity, or creator to creature. And um, our Lord offers a different perspective about it, a different variation on the appropriate relationship that should exist between God and those he fashioned in his own likeness. God made you and I in his own image. He is the creator. We are the creation. It never changes. Of course, some scripture scholars and not few Christians uh, got all uppity uh, and disturbed by the, the adjective that's used to describe the servant in today's parable. Uh, after he has completed everything uh, that he was asked to do, uh, what else? And the, that's the question. What more could the poor chap have to do? Um, and uh, we should know that, um, first of all, it is unlikely that Jesus was proposing this parable to his disciples. He was, he was doing something different. He is setting his sights against the Pharisees. But you don't know that unless you read the scriptures. You've got to read the scriptures. You've got to read the paragraph or two before this to understand what's happening. So he's putting his sights on the, this prevalent thought of his time and pretty much put forth by the Pharisees. The Pharisees taught perfect observance to the Mosaic law. You had to do it perfectly. If you didn't, you were going you know where. Moreover, with a, they had this self-righteous sense about them. They felt that God was thereby indebted to them for their goodness and that God was obliged to reward them with glory in return. This is what Jesus is also dealing with. So this parable is addressed to them who feel this way. To deflate this sanctimonious attitude, Jesus simply addresses himself to the culturally accepted norms that existed between master and servant. Servants were expected to work all day and then prepare the master's dinner before attending to their own needs. Neither the servant nor the master would have thought anything unusual about this. You see what I'm getting at? Neither one of them would say, I'm supposed to be doing, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. The master said, that's what you're supposed to do. And the servant, that's what I'm supposed to do. Neither would think it called for a special reward. If you just did what you were supposed to do, neither one of them would be expecting a reward. The point of the comparison becomes clear then. God created us to know him and to love him and to serve him in this world. And my brothers and sisters, when all is said and done, we are only doing what we were created to do. We have no claim on God for any special reward. In equity, God owes us absolutely nothing. Look at all of you. <laughs> see what happens when Father gets 12 days off? <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? Now, today, I don't think we have that type of attitude completely. It's not gone. It's just not so ugly. 
as the Pharisees put it forth. God owes us absolutely nothing. Here's the thing. Many Christians erroneously believe the question of their individual salvation depends solely on them and their conduct. That is known as Pelagianism. It's a heresy the church fought back hundreds of years ago by Pelagius. That's his name, the monk. A monk who put this forth. But Christians who follow this cannot be more wrong. As today's parable makes vividly clear, even if we lived our lives perfectly, from a human perspective, we would still have no claim on God for a reward. Why? Because salvation comes from God, not from humankind and what they do. It is God who saves us, not we who save ourselves. This has been a big fight between Protestants and Roman Catholics for a long time simply because it's misunderstood. And it gets tiring. <laughs> I can't tell you how tiring it is to fight Protestants about this, about works. <laughs> Salvation is a gift freely bestowed on humankind because of God's great love for you. For when the world was steeped in its nonsense and sin, God sent his only begotten one to save you and I. It is only through the merits of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that we are saved. That being said, while God wants, expects, and requires us to cooperate in the work of salvation, without the merits of Jesus Christ, our efforts would be done in vain. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because if you could have done it on your own, Jesus wouldn't have to come. <laughs> and I don't understand why Christians can't figure this out. Why it's such a problem. If God welcomes us into heaven, it will not be because he is obliged, but because he does so out of love. This is another thing that people don't get. They keep thinking God hates them and is after them. And you know my sense of humor, if God doesn't want you to exist, poof, you don't exist anymore. <laughs> I, 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 you see what I'm getting at? It's a logic that I can't understand. In today's gospel, Jesus puts forth that there is nothing special about fulfilling one's duties. Perhaps uh, I was going over a, an analogy trying to figure out what would be another way, and it's, of course, Jesus is always perfect and everything, and I'm not, but here we go. At graduation time, parents typically throw parties for their children to show their pride in them and their accomplishments. For the most part, I feel it's spontaneous. It's a gesture. Uh, yes, I know one could argue it's a tradition, but I think it's spontaneous and um, coming from the heart, something in which the family and friends are eager to do and share. However, if the graduate gets all uppity and makes demands for such a celebration, because it is due that person because they graduated, most people would consider the demand out of line, out of character. And uh, any festivities after that would be uh, just weird, right? Now, I don't have any children, so maybe your children, as soon as they graduated, they made their demands. I demand that I will have, especially when I watch some of that stuff on M MTV, <laughs> I'm like, who spends $20,000 on a graduation party? <laughs> But more than that was the idea, they were owed that. 
because they graduated. <laughs> Hooey. I'm glad I'm not a father that way. <laughs> It'd be a problem. So, my friends, I suppose a very practical but not very comfortable point of today's parable then is simply that we should serve God lovingly uh, without concern for reward. For it is out of duty as creatures made in his own likeness that we do this. Having said all of this, my friends, God loves you. I've been telling you that for five years. <laughs> Most of you know that and some of you forget it. So I remind you. Salvation is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. His love is gift. Salvation is gift. Faith is gift. But it is one that has to be responded to. And with the latter, faith responded to with works of love and service. But if you think that on your very own, you are going to work your way into heaven, you are greatly mistaken. 